from Braided Media. This is 54 Lights. Over the course of 2020, I was approached by the Ontario AIDS Network to support their efforts to confront anti-black racism. My role was to facilitate the creation of part of a resource library, a podcast component obviously, that could be used by about 40 different agencies throughout Canada who are marching towards progress. The work that I did had a profound effect on me. Now, the reason I bring this up is really for two reasons. First, to let you know that there's really hard work being done behind the scenes by brave people around the world. Some of that work is taking place, obviously, in Canadian cities and forges forward despite the challenges posed by COVID-19. It's important to note that the work that is being done is not always sexy, it's certainly not always loud, nor is it conveniently unpacked in a series of social posts. Real work hardly ever is. In this specific case, the work that I'm talking about, that critical grind, if you will, is being done by people and organizations who've devoted their lives to activism. They've devoted themselves fully to helping others. Organizations who appreciate that even as progress is being made, as it has been this past summer of 2020, that there is still a long way to go to eradicate racial inequity. Entities that understand that being signatories on pledges and posting black squares on social media are only the beginning of a journey, not the end. These organizations, the aforementioned Ontario AIDS Network among them, understand that there are stark intersections between work in one sector and work and progress in another. Case in point, any work that's seriously being done in the HIV sector must include, to some degree, work to fight structural anti-black racism. The two, unfortunately, are inextricably interlinked in meaningful ways. So that's the first reason that I mention this. To simply reiterate that there's work being done by brave people, it's being done behind the scenes, and in corridors that are far from the spotlight. Now, the second reason I'm bringing this up is that today's episode of 54 Lights is actually a rebroadcast of my collaboration with the Ontario AIDS Network. It's a privilege for me to bring the people and project to a broader audience, that's you, so that you can all benefit from some of the insightful perspectives that were brought forth during those conversations. Hopefully, so we can all appreciate the work that's being done to unify and collectively help the interests of all. It is also no coincidence that I bring this forward during Black History Month. My name is Kondwani Mwase, and the next episode is a rebroadcast of the Ontario AIDS Network-sponsored Step Forward and features Emmanuel Mellis. What follows is that episode in full. I encourage people to really have the skills and the capacity to have difficult conversations, but do them with care and empathy and with respect, with an eye to bridge and bring people together. So I, when you talk about really Ubuntu, um, 
it means a lot because I think, as you know, um, in, in the African sense, literally, you cannot go to sleep if your neighbor doesn't sleep, yeah. And so you're vested actually in, in, in the peace and sleep of your neighbor. Why do you feel now is a time when these types of conversations are, are, are seemingly getting new life and energy? The, 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 um, uh, the sanctity, if you want, of our human values as countries and nations and communities has been trans transgressed to such extent that this is no longer a black community problem. The, the, the challenge that confront black communities are not the problems of the black communities. They are Canada's problem. They are United yeah. States problem. They are a global problem. So for me, I think um, it's a confluence and a number of factors, Black Lives Matter, but also the realization that with the pandemic, um, having the disproportionate impact and, and the, the uh, almost graphic visualization that people were, were dying out of this COVID uh, pandemic because simply because they were black or racialized. Um, and all these things for me came to, to um, a place where society felt is enough is enough. We have to be able to really step in and, and correct this. Now, the key question obviously is, is this um, uh, moment? Uh, <laughs> That's what I was going to uh, ask you. Is, is, this, is this a moment in time? Is this an aberration? Is or is this... Well, uh, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel, and I hope it's not an aberration. I think there are indications that if we don't sustain the authentic engagement, the difficult conversations, the advocacy, there, is, there are indications that this could be a moment in time. Black communities cannot. You know, our young people are dying in the streets. You know, uh, as I said, black youth unemployment is, is scandalously high. You know, a, a significant chunk of our families and children are living in a state of poverty. So, so I think for us, um, it's almost like we have our back against the wall. We have no other option but to continue the fight. And that's why from the work that I have been doing with so many others, across the country, uh, beyond just keeping the momentum around the fight, we were trying to elevate this and take it to a next stage and saying, hey, we need, we need governments at the table, we need municipalities, uh, we need allies at the table. Yes, the discussion is going to be difficult, but we can make it. Since the outset of this ambitious series, I've been struck by two pivotal points. First, the gravity of this moment we are living in. The sheer weight and potential lasting effects that these conversations are going to have for decades to come. We are, after all, talking about unraveling systems that have propped up racism for decades. Now, the second thing that struck me is this concept of sustainability. Will the momentum of this moment exceed the moment? Will the work being done have a lasting and generational effect? Or will it fade? 
Now, while I have many, many doubts, I tend these days to be shifting and veering towards the side of hope. I have a hope that the gravity of this moment will actually make it a lasting one. I think that not because I'm an eternal optimist, but because I have bore witness to something I have never seen before. The fact is the manifestation of this fight against anti-black racism is being waged not only by people of color, black people, but by people of variant races, different backgrounds, different histories. They're all working in allyship towards one cause that will truly lift all ships. One that doesn't pit people against one another, but rather puts them beside one another. Welcome to Step Forward, a series dedicated to providing tools, guidance, and information to help Ontario's HIV sector address anti-Black racism. Over the next few episodes, we'll continue the discussions that we've had before, talking to community leaders, changemakers, and experts who are dealing with the issues of diversity and inclusion within our society. All of this will help us in our march towards equality, towards equity, actually. And by contrast, will help us in the fight against oppression. My name is Kondwani Mwase, host of 54 Lights Podcast, and your moderator for these round of discussions. In today's session, we will sit down with Emmanuel Meles. Emmanuel is the Executive Director of the Network for Advancement of Black Communities, and was invited to speak to Ontario AIDS Network's member organizations as part of Step Forward. He's an activist and a community organizer, rallying around causes for immigrants and for underrepresented peoples. He's a mainstay in Toronto's community with an impact and a reach that goes far, far beyond it. A marine biologist by trade and by history, he's acutely tuned in to how systems and peoples within them work in concert to create calm or create chaos. Now, Emmanuel's resume is impressive. Of that, there is no doubt. But his resume is actually eclipsed by his character, as you're about to hear. You are, uh, where are you from? Originally, I'm from planet Earth. That's what I say to people, yeah. But I'm from Eritrea. <laughs> I, am, I am a Pan-Africanist in terms of my orientation. And, uh, and, uh, but originally, I was born and grew up in Asmara, Eritrea. Believe it or not, 2,450 or so meters above sea level. I came here about 27 years ago. I'm a former marine ecologist before, believe it or not, doing marine science, teaching and research. And that's why when I talk about our work now, I talk from an ecosystem lens, yeah? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and so I move into a room, I, re- I see the, the room first before I see the chairs and the desks and, and everything in the room. Mm-hmm. So 
look at the black community before I see the issues and the challenges and the, and the players, uh, you know, uh, in, in doing that, you know, um, I um, have the opportunity to see, you know, things, as I was saying earlier on in the session from a balcony. Yeah? And, uh, and so there are moments that uh, I need to be on the dance floor, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, work on the ground with communities, with grassroots, volunteer support families. I do a lot of mental health advocacy work, supporting families uh, around. How, how, how long, sorry, Emmanuel, how, how, long no have you, have you, how long have you been doing this type of work? And when did you make that switch from, you know, I guess from your studies in marine biology to this? And, and in fact, there is a difference between marine biology and marine, marine ecology, I, I, oh. ecology, yeah? mm -hmm. uh, which is biology is part of that. But, but I think ecology gives you um, the ecosystem view, you know, it looks at the landscape. It looks at, uh, uh, at a system and saying, how are these components in that system relating to one another? When I, when I specialize in it, a lot of work around coral reef ecosystems, I look at how the fishes, the plants, the currents, the, the, the nutrients, the sun interacted with corals and, and created energy, you know? And, and so from an ecosystem, when anything goes wrong in, in any of those members of that ecosystem, the, the ecosystem is not healthy. It's unstable. It, it's unstable. And that's exactly the same with human ecosystems, yeah? So beautifully said and masterfully articulated um, and, and providing the perfect segue to my next question, which was about allyship. You talk a lot about this, um, you know, I'm paraphrasing now, but sort of ships rising together and the need for different stakeholders within society, be it government, be it people from non-Black communities, and of course the Black community as well, to work um, in concert to make change. Now, I want to talk about, or I want to ask you about, um, you know, a, a, as part of that, you did talk about the th three B, uh, three B typology. I think is that what that's what uh, that that's what the term is. Um, how much of this needs this conversation needs to be black led in that vertical, and how much needs to be outside of that locus of control? Uh, it, it, it's a good question. I think like the what the black uh, led black, focused black, serving or the B3 framework allows us to do it. It's, it's, a, it's a great framework for actually um, making sense on a number of dimensions, making sense of how to move on the policy domain, on the funding resources side, on the community engagement side, and, and, and the uh, collaboration and solidarity that we need to, to show with others. I think we have reached a stage where we are strongly recognizing that we cannot sustain capacity and change that gives positive outcomes for black communities if we don't intentionally invest in black-led organizations, black-focused organizations, black-serving organizations. Whether they are established or, or medium, small size or grassroots, there has to be an intention and attention on black organizations as a pillar of sustainability and viability for black communities. These are the frontliners, if you want, that are delivering programs and services for many in our communities. They are the innovators, you know, the grassroots that are connecting to the problem, understanding the issues, 
and finding ways to address the issues with less resources. That's why I was saying one of the things that we need to do, we, we need almost to normalize or mainstream black grassroots, yeah? Mm. And so when you look at the B3 framework, it's, uh, many are seeing this as just a, a great funding framework. For me, it's much more than that. It's, it's, it's all about engagement. It's all about collaboration, policy making. We need to have the black-led organizations, the black-serving organizations, black focused organization at the policy table sitting with governments as part of the conversation totally totally this is not only a fund or money discussion for me mm -hmm. you know uh, some of the solutions that we need as i indicated require collaborative solutions money as i said is a good servant but it's only a good servant if you have the right solutions <laughs> well said you talk a lot about leadership and you spoke a lot about leadership and how leadership is supposed to give space to so to progress to, again i'm paraphrasing can yeah, you yeah. can you explain that a little bit for our audience or listeners yeah 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 so i i said the, the first task of leaders is not to lead and be seen at the front not have titles and you know derive authority from those titles the first task of leaders is to hold the space for others another simplistic way of saying this is Leaders have the prime responsibility of creating other leaders, uh, as opposed to gatekeeping, as opposed to this image of the heroic leaders, as opposed to the saviors that we need to have in our community. We need to have leaders who facilitate and hold the space for harvesting the wisdom of the many. Uh, our problems around housing, education, all these isms that I've been talking about, you know, health and mental health, employment, they cannot be tackled if we don't harvest the wisdom of the many in the black community, in our lives, in governments, and in the private sector, in our face leaders. And to do that, uh, leaders have to recognize that this is not actually about them. Leaders must disappear in the background. All the space for various ideas to come to the front, various solutions to come to the front. They have to nurture that emergent space so that we have the opportunity to really land in some medium to long-term solutions for our communities. And to do that, uh, as I indicated, leaders have to be uh, humble enough to quiet, if you want, their inner voices of judgment, of cynicism of the other, or their inner voices of fear. And, and they have to have what I call, uh, from the work that Otto Sherman has done, mind open will, and, and, and the open heart to be able to really uh, hold, hold that space. You know, holding that space is not easy. It's, 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 uh, it's not about you. You know, the biggest questions in leadership is, who am I, the self, and what's my legacy? And, and your presence in terms of impact is not because you are at the front, it's because you are, you are invisible, that you are actually giving the opportunity to other leaders to come up with solutions uh, that are going to be useful for our communities. That is uh, so profound um, and, and perhaps uh, an uncommon take on what leadership is. This for some will represent a change, but for others it won't. And that's, that's what I think gives us all hope. Um, as part of that journey, you said we need to be able to co-create the future, but you started, you, you said friction um, by mistake, I think, but I found, I, it felt to me like in doing this, this work that you're talking about leadership, 
isn't there inherent friction in there? And how do we, how do we overcome that? And maybe the better question is, do you think there is friction in there? Oh, definitely there is. There is tension. There is friction. There's a lot going on. And I think like the inner work that we have to do as leaders to really hold the space for others is significant. You know, you cannot transform others if you cannot change yourself. And, and, and to be able to change yourself, uh, as you wake up in the morning and you look yourself in the mirror, you need to be able to almost x-ray yourself and see deep and say, what are some of the cynicism that have to get rid? The judgments that I make of others, you know, the boxing that I do of others, you know, putting people in small boxes and having all sorts of assumptions, stereotypes. And, and, and for me, the tension that you have is like, it's a call to humility. It's a call to say like, you know, you, you need to fade in the background. That your presence is stronger and visible by the dint of the strengths of your ideas the solutions that you're putting on the table for others to look at, at theirs, deduct, you know, customize, so that we have robust solutions for our communities. And to do that, you know, especially people in my generation, we need to openly talk about the problem that we have around gatekeeping. Leaders, so-called leaders, staying in their role for a long time. Yeah. You know, 20, 25 years, we have so many amazing young black leaders in our in our midst today we need to be able to step back and allow them to lead you know uh, a concept that i didn't share today which i wish uh, um you know i often bring in my in my conversations is is the concept of eldership you know in the african sense our elders are respected uh, being an elder it doesn't equate with being a senior you know eldership is earned it's not given. An elder, I think, in our, in our uh, communities, in the African sense, holds a, a very respected place in our hearts, in our minds. The wisdom that we tap from our elders is, is meant to carry us forward, yeah? It's respecting our ancestors and, and those that are around us and tapping into their wisdom. We need many of our long-standing leaders to transform themselves into elders need to be able to have an intergenerational lens so that our young leaders are allowed to lead. Think about this. You know, for the next 20, 25 years, people like myself and, and those in my generations, they should not and they might, must not be expected to play a role. They need to be able to fade in the background and play different roles such as mentoring, championing. We are in that type of of the change of the guard, so to speak, the, the, the change of the era, yeah? And, and I think, you know, um, you know, young leaders uh, in our midst, they are different. Uh, they use technology differently. They multitask differently. They use creativity uh, differently. They are not beholden to silos. They, they don't think much about bureaucracy. They are different, not allowing them to lead we're doing a disservice to black communities. When we look at these movements, whether it be uh, any, any type of awareness in any different type of sector, it hasn't worked until now, especially when it comes to anti-black racism. It just feels like it hasn't worked until now. How do you look back and look forward at the same time 
You know, um, Conrani, for me, I go back to Sankofa, as I was saying earlier on, which is our ability to fetch something from the past of lessons learned, something that would carry us into the future because of the utility and value that it brings to our capacity to generate solutions for communities. Um, history matters, legacy matters. You know, um, the history of black folks in Canada predates Canada. The history of slavery in this country and, and all the struggles that people went through amongst elders, um, there's so much that we can harvest from them in terms of how they waged their struggle. Some of the struggles that they have been waging 40 years ago or more are still present today. You know, and, and, and uh, when we talk about data that we knew 40 years ago about <laughs> we're on the periphery, yeah. we're still waging those, those struggles, yeah. And I think some of them are still in our midst waging the struggle. And uh, they're in their sunset years, but they're still standing and, and, and waging their, their struggle, yeah. For me, the, the young generation and the generation that's coming is better served by actually connecting the dots of the present and the future with the past. Uh, not only because of, of legacy, but principally also because the lot for black folks, the struggles for black folks, um, you know, are, are still going on. And it, sometimes like, you know, with George Floyd and everything that we have seen, especially south of the border, it feels like you're back into the civil rights movement times. Yeah. And so when we talk about Black Lives Matter now, and everybody is, you know, openly saying, yes, they do matter. Let's not kid ourselves that there are very strong forces in our society that are very strong and present. Some of them are present in very polite ways, holding uh, political offices and others. Others are in your face directly. Yeah? And I think um, we need to follow the data. We need to be able to um, uh, use the data as, as an instrument to be able to do effective policy advocacy. We need to bring generations together. I've always said if there's anything that we can learn from Aboriginal or Indigenous communities in this country, is their ability to think about coming generations and plan for coming generations. If anything, in our Black community, let's work together to, to plan for one generation or two generations. Mm -hmm. and, and when we think about one or two generations down the road, we'll quickly realize that's not about us. We'll, we'll not be around tomorrow or after tomorrow. It's, yeah. But we have to lay the foundation so that members of the Black community, children growing in the Black community, you know, elders and mothers and families could live a decent, respectful life in Canada. That, that we are not always, you know, when people are picking up the, the data and the stats, we are not always there on the margins. Can you believe that, you know, child and family poverty among African Black Caribbean communities is scandalously high, almost in some of these communities, 30 to 40%. And so we have huge challenge in front of us. And I think when we use a Black ecosystem approach, the approach that I have been pushing for, what I'm saying 
to black leaders and to myself and to governments and foundations and my staff and my colleagues and everybody, we cannot tackle black problems because they are systemic. Without throwing at them all the capacity that we have of governments, foundations, of black leaders in the corporate sector, faith leaders, young fathers, mm -hmm. everybody. And to do that, we need to hold the space. How do people, whether they're listening to this as part of the uh, OAN membership or as part of um, they trip on this and they want to get involved and they want to start helping and they want to create this, uh, this call to humanity, they believe in that, as you say, how do they contribute to that? What's the first step? Um, there are, uh, for me, there are different entry points to this, yeah? And, and I think um, one way is, is, um, is for those that are really interested to delve a little bit deeper around some of these issues that, that uh, we're discussing, the Network for the Advancement of Black Communities will be creating opportunities for engagement um, around uh, various events that we're going. We're running a, a huge project on the Black Community Recovery in Italy. So there will be opportunities for learning and, and engagement that we'll be sharing. Uh, I encourage people to visit our website. Uh, it's networkabc.ca, uh, networkabc.ca, or uh, to drop an email to napsi, nabc at yorku.ca, and uh, we'll be happy to connect with folks, but also to look around. There's so much black joy and beauty at the moment. Uh, despite the challenge that we're talking. Look at what the City of Toronto is doing through its anti-Black racism unit. Uh, look at what Black organizations are doing. You know, there are so many of them doing amazing work, you know. Uh, Center for uh, Black Young Professionals, C, or, uh, you know, at York, we have the Harriet Tubman Institute, the Jean Augustine Chair on Education, uh, Community and Diaspora, USREX. There are so many organizations out there doing amazing things. Uh, get around, connect with them, volunteer. And, uh, and I think, you know, um, for me, just like, you know, get involved. Uh, get involved, whether you're black or not, doesn't matter, get involved because um, black issues are Canada issues. You know, uh, black issues are indigenous issues. Black issues are every community's issues. As I said, we cannot, win the fight against anti-black racism without winning the fight against anti-indigenous racism, other forms of, of, of uh, uh, discrimination or transphobia or all, all those things that I'm uh, saying all along in terms of really paying attention to the intersectional nature of this fight. So um, take the first step, you know, um, sometimes it feels like you're, you're, you're one step forward and two steps backward, but uh, I can reassure people that there's a lot of goodwill there to engage with a level of care and empathy. It requires courage and uh, we are in it together. I'd like to thank Emmanuel Mellis for the work he does for the broader community. As an ally in the fight against anti-Black racism, his counsel and passion are making fundamental advances in this important conversation. Thank you, sir, for taking the time to participate in Step Forward. If you want to learn more about Emmanuel's work, his guidance, his teachings, and what he has to contribute to this conversation, please look out 
for the Step Forward newsletter, which will have links to works past, present, and future. This show was produced and recorded at the soundstage and auditory office of 54 Lights Podcast. If you like what you've heard from me and from this show, there's more. You can find other insightful conversations on race, on creativity, and culture by looking for 54 Lights Podcast wherever you do your listening. Just search by typing the number 54 and the word lights, no spaces, and we'll come up. I hope you'll tune in. To learn more about this series, Step Forward, and the collaborative project between 54 Lights Podcast, Breakfast Culture, and the Ontario AIDS Network, please look out for references provided in the newsletter. And of course, listen in to our next podcast. I'm your host, Kandwani Mwase. It's been a privilege.